After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi everyone, it's Raghu with Mind Rolling. I want to introduce a podcast to you. It's uh, actually taken from, a retreat. we do a podcast thing at the retreats we do in Maui with Ram Dass and Krishna Das. And in this particular one, which happened in the spring of uh, earlier in 2017, uh, 2017? Nah, 2018. Um, and it was uh, with, uh, it included uh, Duncan Trussell, Krishna Das, Bob Thurman, and myself. And uh, it, the retreat we did was around no death, no fear. And uh, all right, let me, let me introduce this in a minute because I do want to just suggest to you all a couple of things, a couple of commercials here. One is, um, I want to introduce our Yatra, that Saraswati nourishing life, following in the footsteps, who's my beautiful wife from nourishing life, <laughs> is, uh, we're, we're going on one, you know, we've been on one, we're going on another one, and then in the spring of next year, March 2019, uh, there's another one, following in the footsteps of Ramdas. This has been a tremendous joy to have everybody be introduced to all of the places where Ramdas and I and Krishnadas and others were uh, when we met Maharaji way back when, and uh, all the different places and staying at this beautiful ashram uh, called Madhuban in, in the foothills of the Himalayas, hanging out with the likes of K.K. Shah. It's just, it's been marvelous. And it's happening again. So if you all, anybody out there is interested, oh, I've always wanted to go to India and see where Ramdas went and these guys and girls, wherever we went, this is an opportunity. You don't have to worry about nothing. Everything is taken care of for you. And not only that, it's not just visiting temples and stuff. There's also real sadhana going on. Chalisas and meditation and dharma talks using Ramdas's. uh, kind of like what I'm doing here uh, and talking about it and um, wonderful food and fantastic bathrooms they have there. Okay, go to nourishinglife.com slash yatra and you'll find out all about it. And I also want to talk about 1440 Multiversity because they have 
fantastic retreats near Santa. They have this beautiful retreat center near near Santa Fe, and um, uh, they um, host wonderful teachers and so on. And they have been our partners for quite some time. And uh, we are so happy. Our values are so aligned. It's just a wonderful uh, partnership. Uh, and I do want to mention that Adi Ashanti, who I have had on, on Mind Rolling, uh, is going to be there in November, mid-November. Go to 1440.org and check him out. Okay? Adi Ashanti is the bomb. I love the podcast I did with him. Um, okay, so... This uh, this podcast, which is in two parts, and I'm this is part one, um, and Duncan, in his usual way, uh, he 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 poses the question about, okay, um, he's a skeptical thing about the clear light. What clear light, Bob Thurman? Bob, of course, is this extraordinary. Uh, teacher uh, and very close to the Dalai Lama of uh, Buddhism and uh, Bob just uh, he sparked this whole retreat he was just fantastic and he said to Bob if you are the creator of the universe uh, what's the most compassionate thing getting you know reincarnating over and over or is it more compassion for beings to just be in oblivion for eternity which is kind of a wild crazy Duncan question um, and Bob came up, well, there's another option, endless bliss. <laughs> so, um, there's, I just want to give you a couple of things that, uh, Bob talks about that are just so fantastic. And, uh, I, th- I think I asked him about his interpretation of, of love. And he said, the root of love is wisdom and wisdom is the, um, knowledge of Emptiness, shunyata. So I asked Bob, "What? What's your that interpretation of love that uh, he, you gave? You know, it was really fantastic." And he talked about love is the root of wisdom. Wisdom is the knowledge of shunyata, emptiness. And then he talked about a favorite expression of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, which I was sitting right there. And uh, it was like it was brand new as I listened to it again. Just fantastic. It's, it's from Nargarjuna, a great, great, um, actually Indian yogi who uh, is the foundation for much of uh, Tibetan Buddhism. And it's from the Transcendent Wisdom Sutras. And it it's talks about shunyata, emptiness, Karuna, compassion, and garba, which is womb. And it translates as emptiness is the womb of compassion. Emptiness is a nurturing membrane. <laughs> okay, so for everybody out there who's scared of this term emptiness from Buddhism, Bob turns this around on its head. Okay. Uh, this is that not fantastic? Emptiness is the womb of compassion. Okay, it's not nihilistic. Nothing. Oh God, I love Bob. Um, 
And then we talked about how the urge to send love gets us out of thinking of the me, me. And Krishnadas tells a story of uh, uh, Maharaji talking to Ramdas um, uh, when he was very angry and threw a plate of food at someone. It's uh, also a story we've heard before, but fantastic. And um, and my favorite saying, Bob gives a different twist to, or an added twist. My favorite thing in Tibetan Buddhism is the concept of self-cherishing, that all we do all day long is self-cherishing. And he said, well, here's another uh, another side to that, and one could say self-preoccupation, because self-cherishing is, oh, okay, we love ourselves, and everything we do, we think we're real great, but then there are people who think that they're a piece of shit, and they're always preoccupied with putting themselves down, so, oh, God. So this is quite uh, a very rich um podcast that we did at that retreat and uh as i said between duncan and bob and krishnadas it's uh, uh it's got a lot of great great uh, content so there you go on mind rolling on the be here now network we'll see you next week with part two This is our usual Sunday afternoon. We call it a live podcast, Duncan Trussell Family Hour, and the one that I do, Mind Rolling, and I do Ramdas Here and Now with Ramdas. What's Uh, the name uh, of it again? What? What did you say you call it? Ramdas Here and Now. What's the name of this podcast? Well, it's just all one, okay? Let's just come up with a better name. It's this long, drawn-out, like... Fireball of virtue or something. No one's going to listen to the Duncan Trussell, Raghu, Ramdas thing. With featuring Krishnadas and Bob Thurman. What's, that's good. It's just three miles long. Um, anyhow, whatever this is, we do it every Sunday after the Bala ceremony and lunch. Glory blast. <laughs> okay, there we and go. I, and I want to, so I want to ask you because Duncan goes around and he talks to everybody, he interviews everybody, see how they're feeling about the theme or their experience here. And uh, you were talking about, you were you had some concerns the other day. Maybe they've been alleviated at this point. Around the uh, people feeling heaviness around the no death, no fear thing. Yeah, well, I mean, not that I'm inter- like I'm not doing a census or anything like that, but there is a, there was a lot of people who were, who were you know, legitimately freak, freaking out about it. But you know, with these things, um, whenever I come, I always forget. I always forget this is not like a vacation in the normal sense of the term. This is more like a psychedelic or some kind of. It's it's an, it's work. It's it's work, and it's be- It's set in a beautiful place with beautiful people. But if it isn't like, if you're not feeling, if it's not hurting a little bit, maybe something's off. So, but I always forget that you guys put this together intentionally. You're not throwing darts at a board or something like that. And uh, when we, when I walked in, I missed the very beginning to this super genius elaborating on um, eternal life and the impossibility of nothingness 
and everyone was roaring with laughter. Uh, I think whatever, whatever, uh, da- whatever darkness or whatever heaviness that people had been experiencing in a lot of ways was dispelled in an incredibly skillful way. So yes, I yes, thought yes. it was. Like, mm. <laughs> I, I like the line: "There are no dead beings." <laughs> right. I think that's. Yeah, I don't. I don't call this kind of a thing a retreat. I call it an advance. <laughs> Bob, my whole sleep patterns are now completely changed in one day from really? what you said. Yeah, and I've reconsidered everything. You know, I considered everything that you said, That's, yeah, and then when yeah. you talked about, just think of it: you put your head down on the pillow, you close your eyes, unconscious, as if somebody. You know, it's like during the daytime you might be knocked out, unconscious, right? right. And then what? And then what? So now that becomes a much... Uh, That's right, it's a rehearsal. Yes. Then, but the, you don't stay in the unconscious, you stay in the clear light. The clear light. The clear huh? light. Yeah, no, that was... Uh, Satchitananda. Yeah. Um, all right, so you have something in mind. I know you woke up in the middle of the night thinking, this, which is what you do, so dedicated to your Yeah, I came exploding craft. out of the clear light, and I... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> Um, yeah, the question I had for you was, um, I, I interviewed, uh, once I interviewed someone, many of you are probably familiar with him, Dr. Raymond Moody. He has written a, he said, he ex- researches the near-death experience. And I interviewed him and he told me some crazy stories that I don't think are in the book. Like one of them, a, a, a surgeon came to him at one of these conferences and said he'd been operating on a young guy, like an athlete. And the, the operation wasn't like a crucial operation. It was maybe his knee or something. Something went wrong. And uh, he stopped breathing. He started, di- he was dying. And they were trying to resuscitate him and they couldn't. This crazy lady comes bursting through the emergency room doors, screaming, Keep resuscitating him. He's alive. He's alive. Keep resuscitating him. Don't you hear him? Don't you hear him? And so they keep doing it. The, the, he wakes up. And this was his wife. And she'd been sitting out there and had this <clears throat> vision of him coming to her and saying, I've been trying to talk to the surgeon to tell him I'm not dead. <laughs> and and you got to go tell him to keep resuscitating me. Because, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to die just yet. And saved, saved his life, so to, you know, saved his life. But, you know, I talked to Dr. Moody for a bit. And cool. um, at some point I said to him, you know, this sounds like a bunch of wishful thinking to me. Like I, I hallucination. It's exactly what you'd want to believe. We're all secretly going insane because oblivion awaits and we're pretending that we're, we're not. And so we make up these fuzzy, pretty stories. One of them being like, you go into the, the clear light. Um, and he said to me, he said to me, you think going on forever is good? 
He said, I don't really think I like the idea that I keep going on and on forever. I think that that is, in fact, one of the very worst things that could happen, you know, going on and on and on. That there's something in that that is so, so, so in its own way, like worse than nothingness. And so I was wanting to ask you, um, isn't, if you were the creator of the universe... (laughs) <laughs> which I, at this point, I would not be surprised if you were. No, no, no. <laughs> if you were the creator of the universe and you were creating beings and you were giving them sentience, what is the most compassionate thing? To allow them to die over and 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 over, and over again, reincarnating, completely amnesic, maybe like, maybe some acid trip and they kind of remember that they used to be like a pig farmer in the mid- middle ages, but well, how about the pig mm-hmm. or the pig? <laughs> yeah. Or is it more compassionate to allow things to exist in a state of complete oblivion for eternity, which is the most compassionate thing? And why do you think so? Well, those, those, those are two um, different things. And, but there's a third alternative and which is that all the beings be, together and enjoy eternal bliss with one another. Not eternal bliss in the form of just some blah state, but all together, you know, endless bliss. I think that's the third option, right? And that's the best one. So, but, the, but actually there is a Buddhist sutra. <laughs> There's a Buddhist sutra in which great Brahma, who at that time was considered, in Buddha's time, was considered the creator before Shiva and Vishnu were big. You know, Shiva and Vishnu were still Bush League at that time. <laughs> and it was Brahma. The great Brahma was the big one. And so this yogi who was worked with Buddha, you know, he went up there and he wanted to see great Brahma because he wanted to find out how the universe worked. And he said, great Brahma, you created it. Like, how did you do it? And how does it go? Just like you. He, he must, maybe your previous life. Duncan Trestle. So then, you know, what great Brahma said to him was, do you have an appointment? I'm very busy. I'm Brahma, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He says, yeah, I know you're Brahma. No, I don't have an appointment, but please tell me how it works. So this went on for a little while, and then he was finally discouraged. Brahma wouldn't answer him and brushed him off, you know. And then, so he was leaving, you know, with his astral body. He was leaving the Brahma heaven. And then outside, Brahma himself comes out with instant teleportation. He says, hey, come over here. So he says, don't be mad. I'm leaving. Don't worry. I'm not going to bug you. No, no, no. I want to answer your question you asked me that question. And so I said, the real story is, I didn't create it, and I don't know how it works. I'm just the big guy here. And I was first here all alone. And then, I, you, know, when it, you know, when it re-emerged from the pralaya, you know, from the state of dissolution, and uh, I didn't know what was going on. And then those other godlings, you saw those little mini Brahmins, Brahma in there? They, were, they all came pop, 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 pop. They were all around me. And when they saw me, they said, Dada. <laughs> so, then, so then I said, I'm not your Dada. Like, we're all in this together. Like, don't, don't give me, I'm not Dada. And that made them so upset that I finally said, okay, okay, I'm Dada. Everything's fine. It's all under control, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I couldn't answer you with the true story in front of them because they would have freaked and we don't have shrinks here in heaven. <laughs> we don't have Baba Ramdas here in heaven to calm them down. So he said, go ask Buddha how it works, and he'll tell you. And then I want you to ask him to do a favor for me. 
tell the living beings when he gets around to teaching that I'm not omnipotent, I didn't create it, I'm happy when they make offerings to me when they're having a good time, and when things suck for them, I hate it when they think it's, I caused it because I'm doing my best for them, and I'm really powerful, I'm great Brahma, but I don't absolutely control everything. It's all, we're all in it together. So have them tell people that. You know? So they actually did that 500 BCE, and they weren't burned at the stake by the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> Thank you. So, so, so ancient India, ancient India already was very tolerant, you know, for multiple interpretations of things. You know, really, really cool. So the, the thing about it reminds me of a story. I wrote a book which I called Infinite Life, which I still like actually. <laughs> Usually, I'm bored with my books afterwards, you know, and I want to write another one. And I have written other ones since then, but I liked that one particularly. And my editor hated it. And the title, they hated it. And they really tried everything to make me drop the title. And actually, they had the contract they could. But uh, finally, you know, then finally, one of them finally said to me, well, Bob, you don't want to go around promising people infinite life, do you? And I said, no, I want to go around threatening them with infinite life. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Because the whole point about it is, you know, the materialists have convinced themselves they're scared of nothing. Meanwhile, people are shooting up right and left to obliterate themselves. You know, like the opioid crisis, even the, even the, the you know, the steel, former steel workers, they're out of a job, so I want to be nothing. So nobody's scared of nothing. It's anesthesia. You know, but they convince themselves they're being brave, and that's the wishful thinking that, you know, with no hell, you know, no lower state, no, not even a being born human in a bad neighborhood. Well, what, you know, to be really blasphemous, <clears throat> let me quote Richard Dawkins at a Ramdas retreat. He You said, had him here? Well, I've, not yet, but one oh. day maybe. Oh, God. He's going to be pissed. <laughs> but the, he, <laughs> he, uh, he said, death is the anesthesia that saves us from the pain of infinity. Yeah. I always thought that's a beautiful yeah, well, I'm saying that's, a, that's another level of self-delusion that materialists, who are basically psychotic people, <laughs> no, they are, because they just don't want to exist. They feel secure. It makes them feel like they have a palliative by the idea that really, really, I don't exist. In reality, my, my basic reality is a non-existence. So that's sort of a fail-safe place, right? Press the ejection button, boom, and you don't exist. So there's no consequence. How whatever piece of shit you did in life, no problem. Right. You, you don't exist. Yeah. You don't exist. Whereas, whereas, and that makes our whole culture so reckless, you know. Like he was talking about doing service and saving the planet. And, you know, everybody goes, oh, yeah, I really care about my grandchildren and this and that. But obviously the elite of the world, which are all infected with the scientific materialist uh, like uh, cult, they don't care enough about their great-grandchildren to actually turn the switches off, you know, to stop pumping the crap into the, into the air. They you know, don't. sometimes... I they think they won't be there. They think they won't be there. Bush Jr. actually said when he was asked, don't you feel embarrassed as governor of Texas? You polluted everything like mad. Your great-grandchildren will think it's disgusting. Our grandparent polluted everything. He said, no, I don't care about that because I won't be there when they think that. He was very honest in his own way, you know, crazy way, you know. I think it's I, th I think it's a uh, you thinking that it's that they're all scientific materialists 
is uh, is kind of a wishful thinking to totally. think that because I think some of them are not scientific materialists. I think some of them are. Um, it's a little creepier than that. Oh, I really? think, yeah, because some of them are fundamental, like they, they're literalist, fundamentalist Christians, okay, yeah. and the best thing that can happen for some of those people is for the apocalypse, because that means yeah. Jesus comes back. So sometimes, in a, in a way, it'd be nice if they were just nihilistic, scientific materialists. There'd be something, in, they wouldn't be intending the apocalypse, but don't you think some of them are actually trying to accelerate towards a the disaster and catastrophe because they think that's when the Lord will return? Yeah, yeah. There's all different forms of recklessness, basically. It's basically irresponsibility and recklessness, you know. And, for example, it's like, you know, sometimes bad dads, you know, they tend to be irresponsible and reckless. The one person in the family who can't be is mom. So that's why we needed a mom, you know, right now in this country. And we actually got one but was cheated, you know, by a bunch of turkeys. And um, so, so it's a reckless thing. It's at the heart of the scientific materialism is this recklessness. And you can have religious forms of recklessness, of course, as well, certainly. But the, but the scientific materialism is the one in charge now on the planet, actually. They're the, that's the one in charge. And they're the one pulling the decisions. They're putting the nuclear power plants on top of San Andreas Fault. They're doing the reckless, building more nuclear weapons. They're doing the reckless stuff. You know. I just feel bad bashing the science. I mean, I get it. I mean, I'm down. I love scientists. Don't get me wrong. It's that, it's that ideology. It's the unrealistic worldview that, that allows them right. this looseness, you know. Right, right. Sure. Like Descartes. No, I love them. They discovered, they discovered the truth of emptiness. Right. By blasting atoms right. together, and then they couldn't find anything. But where did it all go? You know? That's so funny. I actually read an article about the... Large Hadron Collider. It was the funniest article ever where someone at the Large Hadron Collider said there's no ghosts because if there were ghosts, we would have found them by now by splitting atoms. That's cool. That's the coolest. But what they found, you know what they did find? They did find mom. That's what has them really freaked out, right? You know, they were running around screaming, Higgs boson. We got the Higgs boson. It was in the newspaper two years ago. Remember the big thing? Oh, we found a Higgs boson. It accounts for mass. So now we need another 20 billion for a bigger machine. <laughs> and, then, and then at the end of the article, it's like, well, but you know, the other thing is kind of, we're kind of in a little funny situation because that's only 3% of the universe. 97% is dark matter and dark energy. That's Mrs. Yin. That's, that's the, that is the goat. That's the, that's the Shekinah. That's cool. That's the Holy Ghost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. And it's, a, it's the female. Yeah. And it was discovered by a female physicist in Cambridge. And she laid that on them mathematically. And <gasps> it's all dark matter and energy. And that's the only reason our model works. And yet, we haven't seen it yet. <laughs> they're, really, they're really very sensible people. I'm reminded, actually, when you talk about the irresponsibility and recklessness, yeah. I'm, I'm reminded of actually something. It was, a, it was a podcast that I put out with Ramdas and Trumpa Rinpoche. And it's actually, we were at it. I can't remember if you, I think when we went there and, and uh, it was around Don Juan. It was, uh, he gave a talk around uh, the way of the Yaki and, and Don oh, Kasanadis' cool. oh, book and everything. And he talked to Ramdas, remember, about 
you need to be responsible, Ramdas. <laughs> remember that whole thing? It was a whole talk around that. And uh, so what struck me yesterday, actually, is your... Uh-huh. I, I'd like you to give it again. Uh-huh. It was your interpretation of love and yes. what love really is. Yes. Well, you know, I, I need a lot of love, you know. So I think about it a lot. But my favorite thing, it's the same thing as compassion, actually. It's sort of the positive wing of the compassion love circuit. And, but the key to it is, is that its root is wisdom. You know, uh, Frank did a beautiful thing. He gestured to us the two wings, you know. He gestured the two wings are wisdom and compassion, but it could be wisdom and love at the same, no difference. And, and then, uh, and wisdom is the knowledge of shunyata, of emptiness and emptiness and Nagarjuna has a beautiful expression which he takes out of the transcendent wisdom uh, sutras that Buddha taught which is, is, is shunyata karuna garbham which is my favorite favorite thing shunyata my favorite expression and the Dalai Lama's favorite expression actually shunyata karuna garbham and shunyata means emptiness karuna means compassion and garbha means womb so there are various ways you could translate that compound. But, uh, but the best way, my way, <laughs> sorry, is emptiness, the womb of, of compassion. So in other words, when you see through yourself, and the reason, the choice of emptiness, we shouldn't make people uncomfortable. It's only that they wrongly associate it mentally with nothingness, you know, and then they think they're afraid of nothingness, which is not case but they think so 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 emptiness is a is a womb it's a membrane it's a nurturing membrane and you know even the buddha nature that people talk about the word in sanskrit is garba and garba means a womb but you know that shows you the chauvinism of all these asian cultures even the buddhist ones are they going to go around and tell some macho guy who's i'm a meditate and i'm a zen man and that you have, oh, by the way, don't worry, you're a Buddha womb. <laughs> or you have a Buddha womb. Oh, no, what, me, a womb? No way, no. Uh, so someone might take up residence in there. No. I, I, I only have my stomach, you know. That's a male thing. So my point is, it's a membrane that enfolds all the relative things. It's the absolute relativity. It's the absoluteness of the relativity is all it is. You know, like a, like a nurturing membrane all around you. And when you, when you know that membrane, your boundary feels safe. You can completely open your boundary. When you completely open your boundary, what comes through you is the clear light. And clear light is not just an inert thing. Clear light is total love. It's such an ananda. And then this key thing about love is it comes from bliss. When you flow with bliss, come on, trussle. Duncan, when you're flipping with bliss, what happens? It just shares itself. You don't even think, oh, shall I dish out a little bliss? No. You just make a funny joke. You say something. You make a face. You, you, whatever. Whatever you do, you do. Right? Tuck on your beard. You know, beard grows, you know. Watch forensic files. There you go. So, but people don't like to mention the bliss because it sounds selfish. Because, you know, it's all of those paranoias we have about bliss. Because cultures, human cultures, have denied people bliss so vastly and enormously. You know? And so, therefore, it makes people guilty to think 
they're a little bit blissful. They immediately think, listen, I was raised, I went to a Presbyterian church. I never agreed with certain things there. I used to drive the poor minister crazy. But I went there as a kid. And what is the, you know, what is the model of the divine in there? Some guy who's having a really hard time. He's at the worst possible moment in his existence. And that sort of subliminally gives you a message like, that's virtuous. You know? But bliss is actually virtuous. When you're really happy, you're really nice. Aren't you? Who's not nice when they're happy? Really happy. Right? Everyone. So, so, so out of emptiness comes bliss from this membrane. It becomes the bliss of safety, nurture, friendliness, you know. And by the way, loving kindness, it's just love. The reason that the Buddhists translated that metta or maitri, loving kindness, is that they were dealing with Christian missionaries who would show up and say, oh, God, we love you, you know, love, Christ, love, we love you, then we're going to shoot you now, unless we, unless we, can, we can conquer your country, you know. So then they said, oh, well, wait, we don't do love, we do loving kindness. That's, that's a plea to them to be kind. But love is love. Really? Love? Oh my God. I mean, what, what, what am I, called to Newcastle? We have Mr. Love over here, and you are all into love. Look at you, smiling, happy. You're all happy. Right? You must feel a little blissful. Don't worry, we won't arrest you. <laughs> if, you if you go to the airport and say, I'm all blissed out, then that'd be careful. <laughs> well, the one thing you did say, Bob, about yes. Yes. love, I wanted to hear more of it and see what you heard uh, when you talked, when Bob talked about love is a, the will to make others happy. Yes. Right? Is, am I correct? You're correct, correct. Yeah. That's the definition, yeah. Yeah, just, what did you get when, when, he, when he said that in relation, I mean, I'm remembering, for instance, I, right away, remembered that story of Larry Brilliant with, with Maharaji where he said, I knew he was supposed to love everyone. That was his job. But suddenly, I was loving everyone around me. You know, that. If I give you five bucks, will you take the question back? <laughs> what? What? No. Okay, yeah. You can answer any question now that comes to your mind. Even. But I just, no, I thought of how love, how the urge to send love to other people or wish the best for them, wish for them to be happy, goes a, a long way to getting out of the thinking about yourself syndrome that goes on all the time. And so it becomes a beneficial thing, as, as he was saying. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about being with Maharaji was that uh, being in his presence, in that love, we didn't, we were, we were relieved of the responsibility of being our cranky old selves because we were allowed to just let, we, we, we could just let go. We didn't, have, all our history, we could just really, it didn't, we could just say, okay, fine. We didn't have to remember all that stuff. We didn't have to be those people that we were who the constantly protecting ourselves and 
carving out space for ourselves so we could imagine that we could be this way or that way. We actually came home. And uh, the funny thing was he didn't demand that we be all the same. Like he didn't make us all wear holy clothes and white clothes and act the same. He loved us, loves us as we are. He didn't, he, no part of it was demanding that we be any way special. Mostly we didn't like each other, actually. <laughs> huh? There were a lot of people in the group we didn't like. We didn't hang, we didn't, we didn't really, everybody didn't like each other. I loved everyone. Well, Ramdas didn't. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, that's the story of Ramdas, you know, when he uh, Maharaji said, "Ramdas, you're a saint, you can't touch money." So he had to have a bag man walking around with him with his money so he could buy bus tickets and food and stuff like that. So one day, the whole group left early in the morning for Kenchi and Ramdas woke up, come out of the room and his bag man's gone, he has no money. <laughs> So he had to walk to Kenshi over the mountains. It's like four hours. And he was fuming all the way, you know? And he gets to Kenshi and he walks down into the temple. And the guy who he did not like the most out of the whole group, he hated us all, but he hated this guy more than anybody. <laughs> this guy walks up to him and offers him. We were sitting opposite Maharaji in the courtyard eating. He was, having, he was feeding us. So this guy picked up a plate of food and he offers it to Ramdas right there in front of Maharaji. And Ramdas took it and put it in his face. <laughs> Maharaji said, Ramdas, something wrong? I mean, it's worse than if you don't eat all the food on your plate, you might as well slap the host or whoever gave it to you. Never mind doing what he did. Yeah. So that's when Maharaji said, Ramdas said, I can't stand. A dharma. I can't stand, you know, personality stuff in people. I, I can't stand it. And Maharaji goes, and he says, I can't stand it in them and I can't stand it in me. So Maharaji goes like, <laughs> look, looking at Ramdas, and he goes, says, I don't see any adharma. I don't see any impurity. And he said, Ramdas, love everyone and tell the truth. Of course, Ramdas telling the two said, Maharaji, the truth is I don't love everyone. <laughs> Ramdas, love everyone and tell the truth. It's not something you can do here. You have to drop out of here into here. And this is where Maharaji brought us for the most part. We, we ourselves took, our, took ourselves out of that space with our stuff. And he would bring us back just by leaving the door open. Okay, you took out, you left the room, you can come back. We come back all the time. But it took a long time to start thinking about, to have enough space to start thinking about other people's suffering and be aware of other people's stuff. And, but it started with letting ourselves feel okay about ourselves. It started from there, and then it just expands from there. Because we're not, what are, we, what are we taught, you know? One time I was in the back of the temple with Siddhima, and about 20 of these cousins came. It was Mr. Tuari's family, and his oldest son was getting married. 
and oldest grandson was getting married. And so all the cousins came for blessings. And I was sitting back with Ma when they arrived. And they came and they were laughing and joking. They were they, so much love. And I was just staring at them. Like I could, you know. And Siddhi Ma looked at me and she laughed. And she said, you see, Krishna Das? You see what you missed by being born in America? <laughs> really? There was so much love in that family. And I said, Ma, what is it with us? Why, we, why can't we Westerners, why can't we accept love? Why can't we love? What's, you know, what is it? And she just said, well, she said a couple of interesting things. She said, first of all, she said, what were your parents thinking when you were conceived? <laughs> Next question. She says, what were they eating? Yeah. And then she said, Affection was used to control you as a child, right from day one. So you're, you would immediately love or the attention you needed as a child from these huge beings that were the whole universe depended on you giving them what they wanted or you couldn't get what you wanted. So affection and essentially that love goes out the window and it becomes business. I'll show you what you want. <laughs> if you give me what I need, which is food, shelter. So right away we're taught love is gone. It's taken away from us at a very early age, if not before. So it's a long process of first giving ourselves enough space to be ourselves and then recognizing other people have the same stuff to go through. And we did spend a lot of time, particularly on, if I remember, we would go down to the river and act out some very neurotic stuff back in the day. So it wasn't all... There's pictures of it with you. <laughs> you can see. You guys were a mess. We were, at times. <laughs> Truly, the stories are great. But <clears throat> I want to ask you something. Well, I wanted to get to the oh, help with the neurosis stuff because Bob said, Bob, yeah. you said the exaggeration of our neuroses is, is uh, an interesting way for us to uh, act uh, ignorantly. Something like that. Well, well, no, I would just say that I think that was about what my, my guru used to say, bless his heart, that... Um, that we we exaggerate the, the, this, our own self centrality, right? That's you know, it. and we identify ourselves as the boundary and the most important person is us ourselves, and we were self involved. And they have this thing called self cherishing, uh, Tibetan psychology. My favorite term in Tibetan that's right, Buddhism: self cherishing, or really, it's really self preoccupation, because it could be self. Humiliating. It could be someone who has a whole thing about I'm so awful, and they could be going into that. But whatever, but it's self preoccupation, really, is what it is. Jayward Zimba, I'm the main focus of attention. So, so that's a that is the real source of all our suffering, actually, according to the Buddhist psychology. But it's the, my my point always is that it's a psychology. It's a question of reality. What Siddhima was telling uh, Krishna Das was the reality of things. He was pointing out to him. He felt he was so deprived and this and that. 
because there were individual problems that arose in the family, but still, the you know, it was love that created him, and he was nursed by people who was helpless baby. Imagine little helpless Krishna dots who couldn't chant. He was just going, <laughs> somebody, somebody really loved him anyway. They cuddled him, he couldn't chant a word. You know? <laughs> he couldn't, uh, in my foolish heart, and he was just like, ah. <laughs> and then little Krishna dots, oh, oh, so cute. He's gonna be a doctor or a lawyer, I can tell him. And they naturally got pissed off when he became a hippie and wanted to do rock and roll, and they started behaving badly. So the point is, we all have this idea that, what, what am I, how am I going to get ahead, you know? And those who really focus, I know one person, I would call her, you know, poor little, poor little billionaires, and she does things like she rebooks her seat on airplanes once she's on the airplane. She like calls up, you know, puts a credit card and gets the phone and starts calling up, you know who I am, I should be in one Z, you know, not in two F, you know? Because she's always thinking, am I in the best place? Like, look here, everybody here. How many people here are like, I'm not in the front row. How come they're in the front row? You know? And this one in the front row is like, how come all these other people think they should be in the front row? And I got here first. You know, there's, there is that element. There is that element in people. And it always makes them miserable because it never, you versus the universe, it's, it's really not rocket science. You, know, you versus the universe, you lose. That's the truth of suffering. But you won with the universe, then you enjoy everybody else's victory. Then everybody's cool, you know. You know but what I'm excited about, again, I'm excited about India. You know, you saw that family, but then look, this is a country, look over there. Look at the, look on the face of Krishna and Radha. Look at them. Now that's God, and he snuggled up with Mrs. God. <laughs> and Mrs. God is snuggled up with Mr. God. And like, and like, where's Mrs. God in the West? In Judaism, in Christianity, in Islam, where's Miss, Mrs. God? She's a freaking ghost. The Shekhinah became a ghost. So you have a father, son, and what? what? Mary, or oh, she was like, a, she was like a, a, a blood bag or something. But, you know, she, she's a ghost, a ghost. That's ridiculous. She's the mom, Mrs. God. And so that, therefore, the, you know, that's a non-grumpy culture. There's a foundation in that culture that's non-grumpy. Look, that's look. Good. Oh, God, thank goodness God is happy. He's not going to send a pillar of salt or like an Armageddon. Or like, you know, look, he's how happy. Hello, Krishna. When you, that's what you're saying to them. In the Book of the Dead, they say, when you hit this clear light, your subjectivity that hits it, is the father, the all good Buddha father. It's that's your, which means all open and all good, you know. And the clear light itself, that the object is Mrs. Buddha, clear light. So, you know, you don't be feeling bad that you don't have, you don't have a boundary self because you are in the embrace of father and mother. So that this clear light is an ecstatic bliss union. It's not some sort of dark place like poor old Yahweh. You know, where's Mrs. God? Where's the girls? Oh, there. Oh, pillar of salt on those people enjoying girls. Says I don't have any. <laughs> so oh, I just want to point out one thing here. Uh, 
So I pointed this out to Ramdas the other day. In the, the thing there with Radha and Krishna, there's the heart chakra below it. And inside yeah. is the bij mantra for the heart chakra. In Sanskrit, it's pronounced yum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> That's really great. You see, so, so that's the secret. So, so you all are cultural pioneers in that you are all rediscovering this with the blessings of Maharaji. And I had the blessings of the Geshe Wangyal and we all have the blessings of the Dalai Lama and many other people like that. And they're coming out there to people who from lineages that you know, came to them as conquerors and really violent things. You know. And they were, they were more gentle people, really, basically. They were. And, uh, and they're just, you know, Ram, Ram. And look at, look at Hanuman. Hanuman. Hello, Mr. Darwin. Yes. Yeah. Planet of the Apes, like 10,000 years ago. He saved Rama's ass, you know, from Ravana. And, uh, you know, that's nature. That's like in the Avatar when all the animals start to come and attack all the machines, you know, ba backing up uh, the few good guys, you know, the nice people with the tails and the blue bodies, you know. Wouldn't you like to have a tail on a blue body like that? And sleep, yes. in a, sleep in a hammock on a tree, under a tree? <laughs> that's really incredibly good. All right, Chant. Duncan, you have something else in mind, I think. What? I can't follow him, man. I know, it's true. <laughs> You can't. Terrible. You I know, can't. It's terrible. That's it. I Come know when I'm outmatched. Let him talk. Duncan, you were, <laughs> you were on my case. You have to get on our case, Duncan. Come on. Um, what about... Uh, I mean, it's really funny to imagine this is the Buddha now. The Buddha is, would have talked about Avatar, huh? The Buddha would have talked about movies and cell phones. and sure. So cool. Maybe Buddha made Avatar. You, know, you never know. He might have been a producer. Would you... Um, <laughs> so, Maharaji is all around. Every time he talks about Maharaji, that light starts blinking. Yeah. yeah. It never blinks otherwise. You just start telling us about Maharaji and it goes blink, blink, oh. blink, blink. Yeah, but is then, it telling I mean, you something? Come on, you don't believe that. I don't know. You think Maharaj, he, he, he's communicating through the light? Could be. Well, he should try my phone. Text, text me. <laughs> Maybe he did. Maybe he will. If he has power gonna, over the uh, more electrical signals, <laughs> give me a text. Listen, Love is more powerful than electricity, right. he says. But I, wait, it I, is more powerful. That's, I have a mathemat mathematical formula for that. I'm sure you do. I do. Yeah, because why? There's an infinite number of bad guys, right? Okay, there's countless bad guys. And there's countless good guys. But the bad guy, what makes him bad is that he's just working for himself. So that's infinity to the one. One infinity. The good guy, each good guy, really good guy, is working for everybody else, infinite others. So it's infinity times infinity. So that's more powerful than one infinity. Okay? That's, a, that's my mathematical yeah. formula. Good that's formula. Great. There, that's yeah. pretty cool. 